Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tech Strong Women, where we feature amazing women doing amazing things in tech. I am Jody Ashley, executive producer here at TechStrong, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tracy Reagan, CEO at DeployHub, and active on tons of boards of the Linux Foundation that I can't keep track of and a million other things she does. And we're excited to be here today with you. Um, before I introduce today's guests, I want to give you a quick update about what's going on here at TechStrong. Um, we'll be at DevOps Asia Summit in Singapore on February 10th. You can also register now for TechStrongCon 2023 on March 16th. And you can also catch up with the TechStrong team at RSA Conference 2023 in San Francisco, April 24th through the 27th. Um, we will be there. And you can register for all of our events by going to techstrongevents.com. And be sure to check out everything going on on techstrong.tv every day. Got a lot of great shows and uh, content for you guys to watch over there. Um, hey, Tracy, what do you got? What do you got on your mind today? Well, aren't you glad they don't have shows in December? Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be a drag if one of the big shows decided to have it like the 15th of December through the 20th? Oh, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that most shows should get shorter when they're in, in person. But that's not what I had on my mind today. I just thought about, <laughs> wow, February's just around the corner and you're already thinking about traveling. I know. Um, hey. Nuclear fusion. I that blows my mind. That one really got me. I was like, that can't be right. So long we were told it was almost it was impossible. You know, I I you know, I lived in uh Chicago and they always talked about the the lab out there with this massive centrifuge trying to create with these these massive magnets, this you know, a, a little mini star, and then somebody does it in the lab in, in California with some lasers. Which is really cool, the idea of light creating light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now I know this is a we're we're pre-recording everybody, so this, <laughs> we are in the right now as we're recording. We are in the period of time where we're celebrating light. We have Hanukkah, um, Christmas, uh, the uh, the the winter solstice, which is the darkest day of the year, but you celebrate it because the next day we're going to have more light. And we find nuclear fusion that's going to create, you know, it use light to create, it's going to take energy to create it. But what we create creates more energy. It has such far reaching, um, it's a major disruptor in so many ways. It, from the, the global geopolitical, um, you know, world, if we didn't rely on oil, it would change so much in the world to make pe people's better lives better in so many ways. So I, yeah, I, I, I read the article like four times and I'm still blown away that somebody actually created a little mini star in a lab in California. <laughs> so that's where my head's been um, this week, thinking about how that would change. And, you know, they say it's going to take like 10 to 15 years for that to be real. That is not very far down the road. That is not long at all. We can do that. That we can do that. We can wait. Even if it took twenty years, we can we can do that. And maybe it just might save the planet. I, you know, I'm I'm a big environmentalist. Yeah. Um, I drive electric cars. <laughs> I do everything I can to minimize my uh, my dependency on oil. And I don't want anybody to send me hate mail to say I'm an oil hater. <laughs> I love my pontoon boat. It requires oil. <laughs> it uses gasoline. 
So I, you know, I'm not, a, I don't hate oil. I just know that we can't continue to rely on it. And it is about the kids, right? It's about the children. What is the world we're going to leave them? And I think nuclear fusion, that is a massive game changer for us. And let's hope it's real. That's really cool. I should have known that would be, that would be your takeaway for the week. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think we should hear more about it. I feel like we just got, I got little glimpses of it and I saw yeah. it on a ticker actually on CNN and I had to go read, go look on the CNN website and then read about it. I'm like, why is, aren't we having a massive party about this? I know there's so much going on in the world. It seems to blot out the cool stuff sometimes gets blotted out by all the garbage that's going on. So I think that's a great thing to, uh, to cover. Thank you, Tracy. So I would like to introduce you all to our guest today, and I'm probably going to mess up your last name. <laughs> Sophia, is it Palomarchuk? That's perfect. Nice. All right. I did it. Woohoo. Um, she is the co-founder and CEO of Aptum. We are excited to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm very excited to be here, uh, Jody and Tracy. Uh, nice to meet you as well. This is the first time we meet through Zoom. Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm CEO and co-founder of AppTeam. AppTeam is a startup in the mobile performance space. So we have a product for developers that want to improve the user experience of their mobile apps. And this is my second company. Uh, I'm also a partner and I actually started my career at Abstracta, which is a consulting business. Uh, which hired me as their first female performance engineer almost 10 years ago. And that's how I got to be now working in, in mobile performance and, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur, which is something that uh, I'm passionate about also creating new products. So how, when you were at Abstracta, how did that form your, was that right after college or... Did, had you I was actually in... still in college. There's, I'm originally from Uruguay, uh, South America, a small but strong country between Argentina and Brazil. Uh, if you haven't been south, I would recommend you to uh, make a stop in Uruguay. Um, and the thing in Uruguay is that usually you're still studying at university and you already start working. So you do kind of both at the same time, which is, I know... Is not that common in the US. Usually you guys take the summer break and then you do some internships. Uh, for some reason, we uh, we started actually doing this many years ago when you, you know you work during the day and then you go to classes during the night. It's very intense, uh, but the thing is that you learn a lot by doing, and also it, sh it shapes your career. So you when you, the last years of university, at least in engineering, it's a uh, five to six years career to get your uh, your bachelor degrees. Uh, at some point, you're actually able to choose certain subjects that you're more interested in at the end of the career, but usually you have already started working in the industry. So you have an idea on which area is more interested. Is like network engineering, even like ML or AI could be an area, um, you know, architecture, like software architect, like you can actually choose your own path. So I started working at Abstracta when I was in my third year of university. Uh, they hired me uh, with, you know, as, as a junior, of course, uh, to start working in performance, which was more like performance testing, but also some performance engineering, which is more related to DevOps today. At that time, we wouldn't call it, uh, we wouldn't have that uh, as a role. 
Um, but yeah, they basically, you know, put this ad up at our uni. Uh, I caught it. I went to an interview. I had just uh, be back. I was back to Uruguay because I was just one year abroad, living in Ireland, uh, which that's another story as well. But uh, basically, you know, uh, they like me and they hire me. Uh, you know, that's that a really in, that's a very interesting model. I think that the, the U.S. companies I know always complain that our universities are sort of behind in terms of what we're what they're teaching. I mean, I, I don't, there's probably universities teaching a DevOps class, but probably not Kubernetes yet. So it's so it seems like that's a, a, a real logical way to do that in your third year, because then you're getting a feedback loop directly from the employer back to you, back to the, to the university. I think there's a gap in the U.S. system that we do take that time off. And I think those, we call them internships and they'll, you know, you might do a summer internship, uh, but, you know, actually taking a job, but there's no better way to, it's no better way to experience the, what the real world than actually exactly. working. And usually you start like six hours part-time depends, you know, they don't hire you full-time because they know you're still studying and they want you, they want you to actually keep studying as well because you want to get more races, right? The more you advance in your career and once you actually get your, your bachelor as well. But as you said, there's more, I, I, at least how I felt that there's a close connection between industry and uh, education. So there's a feedback loop as well. And many, uh, you know, uh, founders and like uh, uh, of startups, they actually teach at university there. So they bring that view from what the market needs, where is the industry. Of course, there are some subjects that are like still, you know, old in the sense that they're teaching you things that maybe they're not that relevant, but most of them, it's still the basics of engineering that you need to learn. So things that right. you might not find, like uh, it happened to me, like uh, this makes no sense. Why am I learning this? But then many years after you realize that that was useful because it helps you with problem solving or it helps you with, you know, certain skills that are not specifically related to the technology. But again, I, I think it's uh, it's challenging, as I said, because you're working and studying, but it gives you and it prepares you better for the future and for actually knowing you know, uh, well, where do you want to specialize in, in IT in this case, right? Which was, uh, I studied computer engineering. So I have a, a offbeat question, I think. It, it, do you speak Spanish or Portuguese? Spanish and Portuguese. Oh, really? Because I, I'm married with a Brazilian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, speak, we, we speak Spanish in, in Uruguay, yeah. As in most of Latin America. But Brazil's Portuguese. Brazil is Portuguese, yeah. Yes. But because they're so big, uh, I can say there's two, you know, 200 million people that speak Portuguese uh, that yeah. live in Brazil. Uh, but yeah, and, and we have a border with Brazil. So actually a lot of people in Uruguay speak Portuguese because- That's what I, I didn't know what the primary language was. So in university and in your first job, how many women did you run into? Are there is it like the U.S. where we're like maybe one or two percent or are there more women? Uh, it's so <laughs> out of work. I was the uh, it was, we were nine at the time, nine people in the company. And I was the second woman in that group that I was hired. Then we actually grew a lot. And that proportion didn't actually we didn't kept that like two to ten, you know, 
it was sometimes more, sometimes less, specifically in the technical side, because as well, then you start hiring like for marketing or, you know, financial, and then more roles come where women are, you know, typically hired for. But uh, but it was usually, uh, usually minority. Uh, there were some classes at the very last years of university where I was like one in 40. Um, that happened even more when you were doing, and, and we did share that with some, I have friends that they did like mechanical engineering, that was like one to 60. <laughs> so for computer engineering, at least in Uruguay, it's, it's uh, in terms of all the careers you can do under the engineering uh, faculty, is the one that has more women. Actually, it's like around 20% that enter every year, but then it's less that actually get to the end. So it's right. finished. So that percentage at the end and the last year was around 13, which is super low. Yeah. It's really low. It's low. I don't know what it is in the US, but I think it's probably around 10 to 13. Right. Um, and I find in the US, we don't are retaining women in technology is hard because many go off and have kids. Um, and then they if they take three years off or four years, heaven forbid, many of them tell me they feel that they're 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 not relevant anymore. This tech, our technology changes so quickly. It's like, oh, well, we were doing C when my kid was born and now I've got to learn Python or, you know, I, I, it, totally. it, it, it such happens. a fast industry is hard. Yeah, and it happens again, uh, when I mentioned that you started working while you're studying, even if, if you have kids in the middle, <laughs> which is not uncommon for women, at least in Uruguay, uh, you know that 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 means you're 35 40 and maybe you 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 have years of experience but you haven't finished yet your career because you have kids so it's super challenging um and and i think that's why also uh, part of um what i want to do right in my role is also to just be able to show that of course not only we are capable but even if we have to you know uh leave the industry for a while for whatever reason uh, we should be able to get back on track <laughs> Uh, and I yeah. think that's our responsibility, right? Because uh, it's it's also up to us to get back, and and it's challenging. But I know many women that were able to to go back after having kids, or after even having you know going through surgery, disease, whatever that will keep you away from work for a certain period of time. Yeah, I mean, I think that in technology, if you're okay with always learning and knowing that you don't know uh, everything, um, but you have transferable skills that you can pick new things up. Uh, that you're okay. But I think that a lot of people feel like, well, I don't know the answers and I'm not sure if I should go back in and there's some hesitancy. And I see that more with women than men. Men sometimes will just jump back in and say, well, I'll figure it out. Yeah, there's something, I, get, I don't know what is like biologically, but I don't know what it is either. confidence that I just see, it, it happened to me. Um, I'm, I'm also part of uh, like not um, not having that confidence that you don't know it now, but you're going to learn it, right? Uh, my own experience now is that we, we with Optin, we start in performance. I mentioned we're expanding to security. And when you talk about cyber security, it's like, oh, this whole new world. You know, I still learning and it's not that hard. Right? <laughs> and I have people in my team that, you know, are experts and I speak the same language right now. Something that maybe three months ago, I was scared at the beginning because it wasn't my background for the last 10 years. But again, like you learn, but it's that thing that we put, sometimes we put that uh, barrier ourselves, 
that this is too hard maybe we are not good enough you know all those thoughts that you have in your head you know i think we have imposter syndrome so bad when i was bugging jody to become part of a, a host on this she was just like i don't know i don't know if i could do it i was like oh come yeah, on done this is so this. much fun to talk to one thing that helps is just uh you know uh uh building your own startup it's like there's every week there's something that you have never done before and that's from you know talking to investors you know raising money doing like bookkeeping you know firing people hiring people there's always something new and many skills are skills that you haven't learned actually because it's not something that you that, that they're taught at university it's just by doing that you learn and that's how i gain more confidence it's like okay i did this now what's next and then i apply that to different areas but again, it's something that should come up, come from you. And I think it's just like um, little steps and little gains help you build that confidence. And of course, talking to other women that have already done it and that they can push you forward. Absolutely. What do you have? Do you have a support system of other women that you network with? Yes, <laughs> several. Uh, I have one like uh, you know female found. I have female founders uh, from the US that I met when I was living in SF. I have female founders from Latin America, which we share some challenges when hiring, for example, from Colombia, Mexico, and we, we I have groups where we, we have something that we share in terms of like you know e, uh, you know challenges or problems. So we speak kind of like the same language, even racing from VCs, for example. So I have groups uh, focus on that. Uh, I have a support network, of course, of my, my uh, partners are the companies. I have co-founders. That helps a lot. They're all males, but they are like very like woman, you know, empowerment is what we want. Mostly because they have, uh, they have daughters. So it's about their future as well. And that's a really good way of having support from men in this quest of, you know, uh, women in tech is because they want to see their daughters in the future to have a possibility and to be motivated to study something related to IT. So that's like, you know, in a way being a role model for them. So I have yeah. that support network that it's amazing. <laughs> and I feel like that's a, a very intrinsically female quality um, that we're more likely to seek out peers and groups and bounce stuff off of each other where I see in um, jobs that I've had in the past where men tend to just power their way through it and think and figure out they can do it all all by themselves and not always very successfully and we've spoken with so many really successful women like you and one of the things they all have in common yeah Tracy is that they've created a support system for themselves where they can bounce all of these things off of other people because there's just so many startups in this world. I mean, how many people go and work for a company that has 5,000 people anymore, right? Or if they do, it's just long enough to get what they need to go out and start their own or do something smaller. So I just think it's it's just a really empowering thing to have people around you that can really help you and you yeah, can- Yeah, and, and, it's, and of course you have friends, right? We all have friends, but sometimes friends, they don't actually get it. <laughs> 
it's just like super hard to explain like what you're going through because you have you know all these investors are saying no and they're like but you're so good or maybe you should do something else but yeah. then you're like no but this is normal so it's like you have to explain it's like talking to your mom right she's there to support you but she doesn't get it <laughs> she's like yeah, talk, talking so to proud investors talking to investors can be really really hard Exactly. I know I've gone through many of them, many of them looking for funding. And, you know, women only get 2% of the funding. And when you share those numbers with people outside these groups, they're like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And when 2%. you talk to, you know, female founders, like, it's so hard. We know. It's so hard. Like, what do you need? Like, let's help each other. So it's, I it's, have to, uh, yeah. I have to admit the whole FTX thing. I think that was the company's name yeah. blew up. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? It teaches them right. Just because this guy had crazy hair, wore a t-shirt and shorts and, you know, came out of, you know, heart, uh, Stanford, yeah. <laughs> you know, since he was a stereotype and they were just like, oh, you're the, you fit the mold. You look like the potential next, you know, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk or something, which I don't know if we need any more of them. I think more I women should say, be I don't know if that's a great one to use. <laughs> Well, well, there you go. I mean, there's some, you know, there, there's some amazing powerhouse women, speaking of which, you know, it's so sad to see Nancy Pelosi finally leaving. No matter what, what doesn't matter what side of the, the, the yeah. spectrum you're on, left or right, everybody, you have to give that. She's a, a tough lady and she's been in a male dominated, uh, you know, uh, occupation for years and years and years and succeeded. I, I look up to her and I, I admire the work that she's done. Um, and we just need more women who are willing to, I guess, put on the gloves and get out there on the mat. And it's kind of, you know, where we're at right now and really push for more funding. Tell us a little bit about Aptim. So Aptim, we started, uh, started as an idea inside Abstracta. Uh, Abstracta, we provide services and consulting for, uh, you know, software testing, uh, DevOps, uh, you know, the whole quality around development. Uh, we did have actually some products of our own, but they all were kept internal. We were just using it with customers. And uh, Abtim basically was a product that we built for one customer in the US that we were uh, analyzing the user experience of their mobile apps. And they really like it and they actually ask us to just buy a license, but there was no way to buy a license because it was something that we, you know, just hook inside our platform and kind of use it very in an artisanal, handmade way. Uh, and that uh, that was something that there was, you know, put aside until, and this was like 2015 actually, until 20, you know, beginning of 2019, uh, when I was actually in a coffee shop in Palo Alto, very cliche, uh, <laughs> meeting with this customer. But this is many years after I was like, we were friends at that time. And he asked me like, hey, what about this product that he had that I remember? Like, it was so good. I've never seen something like uh, the way, like how easy it was to use, like the, the way that the results were shown, because basically Optim, you can just run it automatically and it will scan your app and show you a lot of, uh, you know, performance issue, response and things that developers will look like when, you know, the app is low or is not working on this device or in this network, uh, the experience is not the best. And, and I told him like, yeah, you know, we never did anything with it. It's just there. 
And he was at the time actually transitioned. He sold his company, it was a startup. He was transitioning to a new role. It's like, you know, if you want to do something with it, call me. And this, this, is, a, this is a male uh, founder from Silicon Valley, right? And I was like, okay. And then I went back it was, and I kept you know, thinking like, you know, should we do something with it? Like, and I went back to like reviewing with the team, like were there other customers using the product? Like, and then we, we were like, yeah, it's just a matter of someone focusing on actually, you know, taking this and, you know, do something with it. Like the, pro the, the, the product or the type was, uh, the tool is there. And that's how it started. <laughs> We, you know, took the IP, which at the time was owned by Astracta. We, you know, uh, incorporated Aptim as a, as a C-Corp in Delaware. Uh, I had to convince one of the founders at Abstracta to be my CTO, uh, mm -hmm. so I could be the CEO. And we, you know, formed a team of uh, four engineers, and we made it to actually launch the product in the middle of the pandemic. So it was May 2020. Wow. <laughs> Very good timing, very good timing in the sense that we were fully remote already because I was in SF, the team was part in Uruguay, part in Argentina. And also because that uh, the pandemic actually saw like huge growth in mobile, specifically in gaming, a lot of people in their house, you know, playing games, basically. And we launched just in time without knowing where that growth in the gaming industry happened. So we got a lot of inbound interest from customers. So we didn't have to do any marketing on sales for the first months, which has got uh, to close deals directly from the product, literally. And then we, have, we, we uh, kept building all the automation part that was uh, in our Roma, how to integrate Aptim into like a, a pipeline where you can run it automatically after you have a new build of your app. Uh, now we were expanding to security because we want to do more checks in the pipeline, not only performance and potentially other areas. So, you know, this has been our ride the, the last four years. Uh, very, very lean. We did raise money from angels, uh, but we haven't raised any money since then. Uh, and the main reason is because first, um, we were thinking about raising money this year. Uh, we thought this is, I mean, we talked with some investors and we realized this is not the right time. We need more growth, but for more growth also at some point we will need more money. So we it's are trying balance. to. It's so hard to know exactly. when to pull the trigger. Um, I can tell you from my first company, I'm glad that we never raised money, and we, we uh, uh, it was uh, we had some offers to buy it, and we turned them down. Because um, keeping control of uh, if you can manage it uh, and you can keep control of your company, you're, ultimately you're better off. To be quite honest. Well, we, I learned a lot about raising money and like giving power to investors. Before I thought like, this is what we need to do. This is a way of doing things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that to everyone right now. We are so lucky either. that our uh, you know, angel investors are the best we could choose. Like they literally let us, you know, made our own decisions, but also support us. For example, now that I want to expand to security. They were like, yes, what do you need from us? Even if they want to put more money, we say no, no, it's not the right time because again, we're going to get more diluted. So I also didn't want that to happen. Exactly. Just control. <laughs> we got offers. <laughs> exactly. We got offers this February this year uh, from investors at evaluation that I wasn't uh, willing to, to give away part of the company. And we say no. 
and then we always found ways to just like basically be sustainable right pay the bills pay the team uh, learn to be lean, lean. yes it's so and, important and almost you know a year after we decided like should we fundraise we're still alive and unfortunately i know many uh, companies and startups at our stage which were like seed stage that had to shut down because they weren't able to you know, have high uh, burn uh, burn rate, uh, they weren't able to raise money in the current environment, and they had uh, you know had to make a tough decision. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of I want to keep in control. I want to be in control of what's going to happen. I feel if I bring more people with different interests, then things are going to go sideways. So I'm pretty. Yeah. Yes, I've always you know we've I've never raised money. Um, I've always try to keep it lean and sustainable and you know pivot when you need to um but i have i have made the attempt to raise uh money and i have not met too many female investors and the ones that are they i do meet tend to be kind of down on the partnership rung and they're not too high up um and they disappear after they bring me in so it can be that, that can be kind of hard you know not to see sitting you're sitting at a table and you know you've got a bunch of guys and quite honestly it can be really disappointing yeah i think that's the other the other part that needs to change in for this two percent that we talk about is actually having more women in in, in the, on the investment side yeah because again the bias unconscious bias we all have them it's not like you have them we don't everyone has unconscious <laughs> biases it's just having more diversity on both sides, both founders and investors. Uh, I did have that experience of, you know, meeting. I didn't meet with many investors. I can say maybe like 30, 40, uh, maybe, you know, four max were female investors. All the rest right. were male. Yep. And as you said, some were more like associates. So it's not, uh, they are actually not have, are not like decision-making roles. Um also, something that happened to me is like being uh, being given the opportunity to you know uh, raise money and 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 talking to investors. I always try to find those where I thought I had more things like uh, similarities, like they are gonna understand where I come from. Uh, so I did my research. I I spent a lot of time researching how investors think, who will open the door. Of course, asking for introductions, but also maybe you know cold emailing some that I've, I thought like they might be interested because of uh, this thing that they are supporting or some are very clear that they actually want you to call email them because they, they want to get like a diverse pipeline but others it's just because they're very interested in in our space and it happens that there's a woman in the partnership so I want to contact her and and I and that happened to me and I was very um I actually asked for other founders introductions only to their female investors, because that's like, how can I create my pipeline with female investors as well? Uh, otherwise, if the same happens sometimes when you're hiring, right, you have to be, uh, you have to, at least in, 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 in my experience, you have to be conscious that I want more women. I want to interview more women for this role as well. So I'm going to go out and find them, not just wait for them to come. Because generally speaking, if out of yeah. university it's only ten percent, it's obvious that maybe I'm going to get only ten percent uh, CVs from women, right? 
but I have to be, you know, I have to do that extra uh, uh, work. And I'm glad that I did that both, both when hiring, but also when I was selecting which investors I wanted to speak with. So not only male, also female, uh, not only maybe, you know, Americans, maybe immigrants as well, you know, kind of mixing up uh, the, my, my pipeline of investor meetings so I can have that variety. And at the end of the day, that's what I was uh, thinking about uh, in terms of who you bring to your cup table, uh, having diversity. And there's a lot of awesome men out there who want women to, to succeed, who are doing their mentorship. Um, they're just harder to find. Well, one of our lead angel investors, he's like that. <laughs> yeah. He's, a, he's amazing in the sense that uh, uh, he's proud to be supporting uh, other women startups. Uh, he actually built a lot of companies based on only men. And I think he also wants to change that <laughs> for the future with future generations. And, and he's like that. He just loves supporting women. And he he's more focused on like, you are so smart. It happens that you're a woman and they want to help you more than just, oh, because you're a woman, I help you. Because that's right. also something that happens, right? Like, I don't want to be treated differently. I just have the same skills. I can build businesses. I can build billion dollar businesses. It just happens that I'm a woman. <laughs> exactly. I always say that. I don't want to be treated differently. Treat me the same. You and know, you I, know that that happened to me with some female investors. It's like, oh, because you're a woman, we have this special thing for you. Right. It's like, I don't it's want like, to be treated special. Like, for example, <laughs> accelerators. I never well, wanted to go to an accelerator. I've actually reached out to some of those accelerators. And the problem with them is they, if you know, if I was doing something that was more female oriented, maybe something with selling cookies or makeup, they would relate <laughs> to it better. And that's the problem. We don't have a lot of technology, women in technology who are VCs. It, yeah. it, you have to have the combination, right? Because a lot of there's, there's women investors out there, but they're not into technology. So they're not going to invest in technology. They're going to invest in something else. Exactly. I swear many times I, I was at a, at like a, a VC kind of event and I just decided to try this on for size. And I pitched a company that was a, um, clothing company for women and everything that, that we made had pockets because there's no, it, there's so many, there's so you can buy things and the guys, they have these really cool pockets inside. And I had a VC asking, oh, I want to see some of your clothes. And it was like, just kidding. I, <laughs> hey, but, but the pockets in our clothes is a real problem. I mean, I, I will pay for that. I see. I see. I, I, I'm going to say something that maybe I'm gonna, sometimes I use my husband quotes just because of the pockets. That's why I tested it. And they were like, that's a fabulous idea. I was like, yeah, we could name it pockets. You know, that's the name of the co company. Uh, but I swear I could have holidays talking about think, the holidays last year I bought matching pandemic pajamas for the whole family and they were all identical <laughs> from the same company but none of the female pajamas had pockets but what the is that? pajamas did and they cost the same amount of money and they looked identical and I was like what the hell <laughs> I don't oh, know maybe who, I should... who decided that design I'm I'm pretty sure someone made that decision and we should stick to it 
Isn't it sad that as women, we can get excited about something as simple as pockets? Uh, that just cracks well, me up. My lesson was, yes, there are women out there who want to spend money on women, um, but they're going to get it. They're going to spend money on what they get excited about. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in a an industry like Sophia and I are, there just aren't a lot of women that get excited about you know, I'm into S bombs and and <laughs> supply chain DevOps intelligence. You know, which I get totally turned on. I could talk about it for hours, but yeah, we are passionate. Not... Yeah, it happened to me when I realized that actually, uh, you know, enterprise SaaS uh, businesses founded by women. Uh, there was a, a VC, very well known VC in SF, that they they um, they wanted to do a dinner with uh, female founders in enterprise SaaS. So they reach out to you know people they knew, you know from not only SF but you know whoever that could uh, fly as well. And we were about at the end we were about twenty in that group, which was great. But they they told us like it was so hard to find you. It's like. It took us, we thought we wouldn't make it possible because it's again like enterprise, selling software to enterprise. It was wider even than us. I would be like, I'm more like on the technical side of enterprise, which is even like a niche because in this case, you could have also like enterprise, like payroll solutions or, you know, uh, other exactly. things. Exactly. But us is like about the tech that the companies run on, right? It's super. Uh, it's an area that it's not common to have women. I can tell you, I talk with, in that list of investors, I probably talk with all female investors, which are probably few that actually invest in our space in the whole US. It's not a lot. Not a lot. Because again, they have to understand, like you have to be, uh, you know, uh, it, you, you need to first understand to actually, you know, uh, speak the same language. <laughs> you need to be interested in to be excited. You need to be confident. Uh, so usually they will come from being practitioners, uh, operators. I think th those were the best investors. Like they ha have actually done something and then they turn into VC. Uh, all of the investors we have now, they were, they are actually, they were actually founders themselves. Uh, so that helps a lot because they understand you. They have empathy. They know things are not always going to uh, go the way you want them to. But yeah, it, it's super hard to find uh, women in the same space in our technical space even you know even harder uh and let's you know it's a way if you're like uh, uh, women and also latinas like you're my minority and a minority i never felt like that was something that uh that uh there was a disadvantage i know it's like this is how things are uh, you know how can i use this in my favor in a way so that's why i got this um network of women in latam for example like so i can relate and they can i can relate to them they can relate to me they have investors that have invested in them so they recommended uh which ones are the best so it's just good to have like your group of peers that you identify with uh because they, they understand you better but then again it's like you are competing with everyone else in the world so why would you treat me differently yeah so when you were when you were a young woman or a little girl, 
where did you decide you were going to, you were interested in this kind of stuff? Like, I'm always curious because we've talked with people who, whose parents told them they had to do STEM or they wouldn't pay for their college education or, and they never thought <laughs> it was something they'd want to do. But then when they did it, they enjoyed it. But how did you get, because I think it's super important for us to think about that with our, our girls. Our, yeah, our I little agree. Ones. And that's, that's also, I think, uh, because when you look at the numbers, like the amount of women that actually choose a career is like you decided that many years before. So what happens while you're in high school? Right. <laughs> what are you talking with your friends? Like, is it something that you're going to be interested in or not? And like just uh, focusing on that uh, population, I think is very important to actually increase uh, the future number of, of girls in tech. Um, my story is is not uh, is not common in the sense that uh, it's not something that I wanted to do for my for my whole life. It's not like oh, I want to be a computer engineer or even an entrepreneur or a CEO. Never ever occurred to me that I didn't even know that was a possibility, right? <laughs> and in my family, they were all like lawyers, you know, doctors. My parents, architects, no engineers no computer engineers actually yes my my sorry my engineers yes but no computer engineers so i i didn't have that like oh you have to do this or this is a future or it's like whatever you want to do you can do it i was very good with numbers so my first uh take was like i should do economics i you know this is kind of an area that i'm interested i i, I want to learn how the economies work and why this happens but this is more like uh understanding the world kind of uh, that was why I thought economics was, was the 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 career for me I actually started university uh, in Uruguay studying economics I didn't like it after the first <laughs> semester I was this is not for me this is not what I imagined uh, but at the same time I also and this is part of my my life uh, I did like many things at the same time when I wasn't sure I also started engineering I did like two universities. Engineering, the only reason why I did it is because uh, I, I, I was able to enter uh, as well by, by finish, when I finished high school, you had like different options. So I had, I can do economics or engineering, but actually started studying mechanical engineering. Oh, wow. Because again, why not? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't like the other ones, that's the truth. I, I was exposed to computers since I was a child, that's true. Uh, mostly because my brother played a lot and I, I got access to that, but it wasn't something that I, I thought like, oh, I could actually work uh, using computers or actually programming. So it wasn't ad, until like the last, the second semester of the first year when I said like, economy is not for me. I'm doing this mechanical engineering thing that I didn't really like it. I, I already felt that. So I tried programming as one of the subjects that was shared with uh, old engineerings and I just fall in love. I was like, oh, I can create things. <laughs> just like writing a program, then like running it, compiling and seeing that, oh, it actually does, you know, what I want. And then I can change this and then that I was amazed. It was that immediate gratification that got me too. It's funny, <laughs> I studied econ my first two years and mechanical engineering. Oh, really? <laughs> I swear. I wanted to build cars. In fact, I, I, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, which is a, uh, it's a 
they consider it a technical school and they have really mm -hmm. small classes. And one of my classes, we got to build a car, like a go-kart. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. My mother said, what are you going to do? Go move to Detroit? <laughs> and when I thought about it, I was like, I don't want to move to Detroit. And so I started working on some of the programming for the car. And that's when I was like, oh my goodness, I do something. And it, it's actually on the screen already. Yeah, and that's just, what got me. It's building things. Building things, it's, but it's it was two amazing. things that I learned. It's like building things and just seeing the results and understanding how things work. Then I was like, oh, this is how a computer works, and this is how this works, and like you know, all the different layers and how you know how do you get a signal when you're connected. So I, I was amazed by that. But these were the two things: is like uh, uh, building things, <laughs> something that I was okay. Like this is, and that's when I felt like okay, this is my uh, my career. Like I feel. You know very comfortable and happy here but because that first year was super intense i was doing like two different careers and not knowing what to do with my life is that then i took that year off i went to ireland but then i came back with even more assurance that i chose the, the right career because in ireland i met people from amazon from google like everyone that was in dublin working for the headquarters of these tech companies they were like oh yeah you should study this like this is you know the future and i was like okay I'm ready to to finish my my degree, uh, but yeah, it wasn't you know something that I always felt this is my call. Right. Uh, and no, the same I just, happened. I just love hearing people's stories of how the same happened when I changed. <laughs> yeah, when I actually be, you know as I told you the story of Optim, it wasn't like I want to be an entrepreneur. It's like there's this thing here that we built. There's this person that has a lot of influence and can mentor me to launch a startup. And I'm in Silicon Valley, let's do it. <laughs> it is like connecting the dots, right. uh, but it's not something that I was planning every day. And because I, was, I wasn't planning it, it also meant that a lot of things have to learn by just doing them. But that's when you have your support network or your mentors. I, I, be, I believe a hundred percent in mentors. I think that can change lives. <laughs> Uh, both for like support when you're, you know, emotional support for sure, <laughs> but also like someone that understands what you're going through and can give you, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, feedback that you need that it's not going to be again, your mom or sometimes even your coworker or your co-founder when you're like uh, facing the same challenges. So having mentors as well has, has been uh, a key part of my whole journey of becoming an entrepreneur and she's gaining that confidence as a, as a female founder in a space where you know we are minority. Confidence is so important, and uh, it's an area I think that a lot of women we just don't oftentimes have the confidence. I always tell people or tell my lady friends who are going through similar things. I tell them, go get a black belt. I have a black belt. I wouldn't got a black belt. I wow. do practice what I preach, but it teaches you to get on the mat with guys. And there is a, you, it builds confidence in a way that I can't really put my finger on. I can just say if confidence is something if, to our listeners out there as a woman that you're struggling or you're, you, don't, you haven't found your voice yet, it's hard to find your voice often, go get a black belt. You know, it's a really, really good way to do it. You know, maybe now that the pandemic's over, we can start going to exercise. Well, it's not really over, but it's getting better. Let's hope that we don't have another pandemic coming out of China from, you know, some crazy strain of COVID. But get back in the get in the gym with some guys and go to the mat with some guys, and you know, it'll change how you uh, it'll change how you are at work. That's great, Tracy. I think uh, 
that's a great place because we are pretty much out of time. We've gone quite a while. It's uh, time flies when you're having a great conversation. Sophia, it was so great to meet you. Thank you for being here. Expect to hear from me again soon because I would love to have you on a, um, a couple of my other shows that we do here at Tech Strong. You and I have chatted a little bit and timing hasn't worked out, but would love to see you again. And uh, Tracy, thank you again for another fun episode of Tech Strong Women. And we got, we will see you guys back here in a couple of weeks. So thanks a lot and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you both.